Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, my guest is Elliot Robertson, author and happiness coach. Hi, Elliot. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. So you are the author of the book, Say Yes to Life, Seven Keys to Living Full Out from Within. And we will talk about that in a few minutes. But I'm really interested. You're a happiness coach. I I think that's so needed nowadays. And I looked at your website and there was something that really spoke to me and intrigued me. And I think it'll speak to, to my listeners. When you chase happiness, it eludes you. When you are grateful for your true essence, happiness shows up. Yes. Uh, I always encourage people to, if they want to go into the happiness house, to not use the front door, the door of happiness, achieving it directly, pursuing it directly. That door is always stuck. So I always ask people to consider going to the back door. The back door is inner harmony. Other back doors include alignment and poise. And that's really um, what I focus on when, I, when I'm approaching the project of raising the happiness level up a notch for myself or helping other people to do it for themselves. Wonderful. And how do you approach that and just being, being grateful for your true essence? How can we get to that? It seems very simple, but it also seems difficult to do. Yes. Being grateful for your true essence, I think of that as also beholding who you are beholding the divinity within you, the glory that you came to earth with when you were born. And that's one of the uh, pillars for inner harmony is beholding your essence. Another pillar for achieving some more inner harmony, it would be cultivating self-trust. And another one is celebrating who you are. I'd be glad to share with you a little bit about celebrating who you are if you'd like. I'd love that. In fact, in my book, there is a chapter that's called Say Yes to Your Uniqueness, and that's sort of celebrating who you are, celebrating the unique gifts that you bring with you into the world, being grateful for all of your unique qualities. In fact, if you are in the habit of keeping a gratitude journal, I would encourage you to go ahead and add your unique qualities. I am grateful for my wonderful sense of humor, or I am grateful for my tenderness, or whatever qualities you think that are especially unique for you. Another approach to uh, celebrating yourself would be to celebrate the divinity within you. So we can celebrate on two levels. We can celebrate who we are in our humanness and our human traits and unique qualities. And we can also just be grateful for the light within us, our capacity to be loving our capacity to grow spiritually. And these can also be included in the uh, gratitude journal if that's something you would like to keep. You can really take it to a deeper level when you're journaling and just you know write down, I am grateful for my capacity to love. In addition to the mundane, normal, daily things that you might be grateful for, all of the good things that have happened to you in the course of the day, perhaps, and all of the relationships you have. Uh, you're you know, grateful for your cat, grateful for getting a promotion, 
I just encourage people to include the entire range of possibilities when working with a gratitude journal. Nice. And if people don't have one, I do, then they should definitely start. <laughs> I think it's it's really helpful for just stress and anxiety in general and, and appreciating life. But I really like adding these things that you mentioned, your unique qualities, small things you want to celebrate about yourself and about your life and about your capacities. I really like that, being thankful for that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there really are different ways to think of happiness. Happiness can be a tricky word. So you can include in the gratitude journal things that you are happy for. The two categories that I like to focus on are happy for good reason and happy for no reason. And when you're happy for good reason, maybe you got a promotion at work and you go out with your friends after work and celebrate. And that's wonderful. Or maybe you just always think of a moment from your childhood when you were taken to the circus and had a wonderful moment at the circus. And that's wonderful. At the same time, you know, I really think that the mystics and the monks and nuns, not all of them, but, but many of them over the years, may have experienced happiness for no reason. They were, you know, having their mundane chores from one day to the next and living ordinary lives. And at the same time, many of them experienced a lot of happiness. And that's the kind of happiness that I really am most interested in, is just being happy for no reason at all. I like that too. Being happy for no reason. I think that's, you know, because then there's not any condition, there's no conditions on the happiness at that point. Yeah, it's not looking to the outer realm for fueling you with happiness. That can be a trap, just like chasing happiness can be elusive. Just approaching happiness like it's a necklace, and every day you're just sort of looking for another pearl to string on the necklace, one after another after another. Not every day is going to bring a pearl to string on the necklace. We go through our bad days and our good days. And at the same time, we can have that default level of happiness, that day-to-day general happiness that is sort of the background of our living and our event. That soup that we're living in can be raised a notch. The happiness soup or happiness foundation can go up a notch and another notch, and it can go up quite high. The research supports that. Really? So there's also research on this? Yes. Um, Marcy Shymoff, who wrote the book Happy for No Reason about 10 years ago, it was a New York Times bestseller, has been one of my mentors, and she uh, has trained me in delivering Happy for No Reason workshops. So uh, in addition to a coach, I'm also a workshop leader. Nice. And we'll talk about you know how people can work with you and sign up for workshops uh, a little bit later. So your book, right now we'll talk about the book. The book is Say Yes to Life, Seven Keys to Living Full Out from Within. And I know it's available on Amazon. I just looked at it. So in this book, what so what made you decide to write the book and, and to also pursue being a, a happiness coach? Well, I guess those are actually two different stories in a way. So why don't I answer the what made me become a happiness coach one first? <laughs> Basically, um, you know, when I was in my youth, I was really quite miserable and quite bitter and jealous. A lot of the time, it was the soup I was living in 24-7. I lived in New York City in my youth. I would walk around the street and notice all sorts of people, people I didn't know, sitting in outdoor cafes or whatever with their friends. And these were cafes I couldn't afford. I always had entry-level jobs because my self-esteem was very low. And I didn't think I really 
would be able to manage anything that was more challenging than an entry-level job. I would go to the grocery store and uh, someone would be there with a basket of goodies shopping, somebody younger than me, usually. <laughs> and um, I would just get jealous because I was down to my last few dollars buying one or two things. It was just a constant thing for me. I was always saying, God, this is so unfair. Life is unfair. I want to serve the world. Back when I was in my 20s, I knew I wanted to uplift people on a soul level, but I just didn't know how to get me, uh, get started on that. I was just feeling really, really stuck. So in, in any event, after quite some time of living in New York in this sort of mood and mentality and mindset, I eventually just, it hit me that I just really had to take ownership of my life and ownership of my response to the surroundings, to the what the circumstances of my life. And I, I just, I realized I needed to stop complaining, blaming, and shaming. Mm -hmm. And that was my turning point. And then I began to catch myself sometimes. I had a moment of jealousy when I was you know, going by a big five-star hotel and I saw uh, an attractive guy and his boyfriend on the street, I caught myself. I, that's one of the first moments when I really was living more consciously. And I immediately dropped it. I immediately realized that that was not the thing to do to spend the, you know, every moment in jealousy, whatever I encountered. Well, that's great. So you were able to stop yourself. That's a wonderful thing. You know, jealousy, we've all been there and it's often from, you know, within and you're seeing somebody else and you don't actually know, maybe they didn't have a, a perfect relationship or a perfect life. But it seems like when you're coming from a place, because I've been there, coming from a place where you're seeing someone else having these things that you want, but you don't know what they're going through, but being able to, to stop yourself and that, that's so powerful. And how can you suggest to other people? Because I know there's a lot of people struggling with that, with jealousy. How did you learn to stop yourself? Yeah, it was really just um, a commitment to just really committed to going beyond jealousy and bitterness and to going into a positive direction. And then the awareness that that's what was going on. I don't think I was really at the time in my youth when I was living in New York, I don't think I was so aware of the jealousy and bitterness being there. It was more in hindsight that I see that. It was more in the moment of realizing what was going on and, and how I needed to take ownership that I became more self-aware. And the, the awareness was um, a large part of the curative part of it, plus my passion for wanting to serve people and my passion for wanting to make that dream come true. Because the moment when I was... Um, realizing that I needed to take ownership, it was really fueled by my realization that I would never achieve my dreams of helping people out if I just stayed on that trajectory. It was sort of, that was the incentive, so to speak. Nice. And I hope other people can, can learn from that too. You know, I've been there too and been able to stop myself. Yeah, well, for some people, um, I think bitterness can be a fairly universal thing because I think we really do all expect to get rewards when we feel like we've been good. Even if we have a very mature relationship with the cosmos and spirituality, there's still, maybe from our culture, from, from somewhere, there is the tendency to look to life and to look to God for a reward. Uh, somehow there is that place within us that puts God into a parental relationship and expects God to treat us good if we've been good. And it's very natural and easy, the human tendency to think, oh, we're good. We deserve a reward. 
So I think bitterness is something that a lot of people experience. The jealousy was my own coupling, so to speak. It was really intertwined with the bitterness for me. Other people might experience the pairing of bitterness with self-pity and not have so much jealousy, but have self-pity as their main thing. There are a lot of different flavors to um, being stuck. Definitely. That's really fascinating. So getting back to your story, that was, thank you for explaining that because I think that's really helpful for people. So back to your story, so you, you had noticed the, the couple and they were coming out of the five-star hotel, the guy and his boyfriend, and you were feeling, and you, you were feeling, you started feeling the feelings of jealousy and bitterness. You, you dropped it. And so going on from there, were you able to, obviously probably able to, to build on that? So you were able to serve people like you are now. Well, what ended up happening in that on that particular day is um, I was on my way to a cafe. I opened up my journal, wrote about it, and ended out uh, the journal entry ended out leading to an exercise I could use in a workshop. I'm always sort of interested in putting workshops together. Then after I did that, I realized that I could include that exercise in an article and submit it to Science of Mind, and they published the article. It's called Releasing Bitterness. So in any event, that sort of is the entire bitterness story right there. Basically, it was just that I became free from being stuck in that constant soup of bitterness. And that freedom just allowed me to discover Marcy Shymoff, reach out to her, and just a lot of other things to open up. It just sort of set me free. And uh, the rest is history. Wow. That's very powerful. For the book, what made you decide to write the book? That's a very interesting question because I didn't really ever decide to write the book, at least not initially. I just, yeah, I mean, for for me, I guess I have a habit, uh, or at least at that point, I was writing poems every day. I would um, just go to a cafe, open up my journal, and write a poem first thing in the morning. And the way it happened was I would just, the first line would be coming to me. And then from there, the second line would come right after the first line was written, or maybe even while I was writing it. And uh, on and on the poem would go uh, until it was finished, one line at a time. At the start, when I was writing this book, I was just showing up. And instead of writing a poem, I just found myself being drawn to writing some paragraphs and stuff. And eventually, I just noticed that the Say Yes to Life theme was just showing up again and again. After the ball was rolling, I had the momentum going, and I just had a lot of the book already written, or, you know, a fair chunk of it. At that point, I was noticing how I could, I began to think about, well, how can I structure the book? And uh, I began to treat it like a book, as opposed to just one paragraph after another. So it it became a very exciting project to put the book together. Nice. Now it talks about saying yes to life and the the seven keys to living full out from within. And I'm not going to give away every key, but what are a couple keys to living your life full out? Yeah, I already mentioned um, saying yes to your uniqueness as a pathway to celebrating who you are. And that and celebrating who you are is a way to cultivate inner harmony. And inner harmony is, um, you can think of inner harmony as a plant that needs to be cultivated in a garden. And so you can fertilize it with, by saying yes to who you are. You can fertilize it by saying yes to your uniqueness, by celebrating who you are. And then when you do fertilize the inner harmony and focus on that, and then your inner harmony increases, what happens is, 
a natural side effect, a natural outcome is the level of happiness going up. I never really deal with happiness when I'm helping people raise their happiness level. I always focus on the inner harmony, like I was saying earlier. I always go through the back door, not the front door for the happiness house. And so you could think actually of happiness as the fruit of the inner harmony tree, if you like. Definitely saying yes to your uniqueness. And uh, the first chapter of the book is kind of like the foundation, the first step that everyone really needs to take in terms of making the journey from just being stuck in bitterness or self-pity or jealousy or whatever it is that's really in the way. And that is saying yes to your expansiveness. And that is really basically just noticing the complaining, the blaming, and the shaming, noticing the things that are preventing you from really going into an expansive state, the things that are making you contract and constricting you, which is exactly what blaming, shaming, and complaining do. They really make you contracted. So that's another one of the keys. And I already gave an example of that. I was That was my starting point in my journey. Earlier, we mentioned not attaching happiness to conditions, and that that's that's hard. That's hard to do for for all of us. It's just like not seeking validation from others, getting the self esteem from within. How can we transition to this place? How can I know we talked a little bit about this, but really transitioning? You know, you can do your journal, write stuff about yourself, but being and noticing the things, the reasons why you're happy for no reason. Or is there anything else people can do to just really detach from this? validation from outside, happiness, self-esteem, it kind of seems tied together. Yes. Um, well, I really do think that if you are focusing on the inner harmony by celebrating yourself and also by cultivating self-trust, that is such a huge key to inner harmony. It's one of the central pillars to inner harmony. And I'd be glad to share a little bit about how we can cultivate self-trust. I'm going to sound uh, perhaps a little bit like a 1950s school teacher, though, because a lot of it is about integrity and building your character and being honest. When you're being honest, you know, you can count on yourself, to be honest, if, if that's the rule that you live by from one day to the next. And in our world today, so many people are just giving themselves permission all the time to say lies. It has become okay to lie about this thing and that thing. And I really think that that might be one of the reasons why a lot of people are having trouble with self-trust. I just see people who are having trouble with self-trusting themselves and admitting it all the time in my circles. So that's part of it. And then the part that isn't really so much a 1950s school teacher <laughs> that goes a little bit beyond just character building is establishing boundaries. That can really help to establish self-trust. If you can just not cave in when you have your boundaries and just be there for yourself in those ways that you need to protect your boundaries, that can also build self-trust. You can count on yourself to be your own best friend when it comes to um, boundaries and stuff like that. Also, if you end up making kindness and sensitivity and caring some of the things that you really put at the top of your priority list 
that can also put money in the self-trust bank account, so to speak, because everything we do is either going to add to our self-trust level, it's going to put money in the self-trust bank account, or it's going to be a withdrawal, one or the other. So just to make that a little bit more concrete and give an example for how kindness and caring and sensitivity can be a real boost to your self-trust. Let's say you were invited by a good friend to go to a dinner party, and she's so excited about this dinner party because she's seen a friend who, who she hasn't seen for many years, and she wants you to meet this guy, and you show up, and everything's going fine. And then suddenly the guest says something that you really disagree with, and you really think he's wrong. And in a tone of, um, you're wrong, in one of that insensitive, impolite tones <laughs> that we sometimes have when we're really um, into our opinion and then want to make a point about our opinion, in that tone, you uh, sort of jump on the guest and make sure you make your point about how your point of view is correct. (laughs) Then maybe after the party, you might go home and you might have some regrets about how you sort of made for an uncomfortable occasion at the dinner party and how you're so sorry that you didn't really make things good for your friend. You didn't take the um, the moment from her perspective and didn't really try to make it a happy occasion for your friend by just being really civil and either voicing your disagreement in a very civil, kind way or or maybe even just skirting the issue entirely. If you are being caring and sensitive and kind, then you go home and you have a good reference point. You know that the next time you're invited to a party, you can count on yourself to make it a happy occasion for everybody to not have regrets afterwards. On the other hand, it's a withdrawal if you um, forget about the importance of kindness and sensitivity and caring and relationships. Nice. That's really, it's actually, it's very, very beautiful to be able to to do that, everything you said, you know, trusting yourself, being honest, building character, and then the the kindness and sensitivity. To be honest, it's to, it's hard to do and the boundaries, and it's hard to to do that. To be, sen- I consider myself sensitive, and it's, it's very easy to loosen the boundaries sometimes. At the same time, to be strong and sensitive, to combine those two. Yes, I appreciate that. It is, and the thing is, is that I think of these things as tied in with spiritual and personal growth. And spiritual growth is a very slow process, but I think there's nothing more valuable. I just, at least for me, it has been a very gradual baby step by baby step journey. And the little things do make a difference. Just to bring that full circle, though, uh, because you were asking me, um, so how can people be happy for no reason? (laughs) And, And to just sort of connect the dots and and make it clear about how I really am answering that question, even though I may be answering it in an indirect way. When you are cultivating self-trust and doing things that create inner harmony, that does end out having happiness as a side effect, and it's happiness for no reason as a side effect. It's that default level, that day-to-day happiness that gets increased because of inner harmony. And then you just find that your day is full of much more happiness and joy. In fact, I have come to a point where I wake up almost every morning with a lot of joy and gratitude. It's just where I've wound up without making it an intention. It's <laughs> That's just been my journey at this point. That's beautiful. So you also mentioned on your website, mentioned the commitment to living full out. So this is something that you have to commit to. And it's a, it's a practice. 
it helps to be committed to inner harmony um, if you want to have more inner harmony. <laughs> Another thing that ties into all of this that's sort of related is Carolyn Mace has announced that she's going to have a book published at the end of the year in November, and it's going to be about holy language. And she's announced that that book is really about how holy language has been thrown out. So to, uh, she says that the baby and the bathwater have both been thrown out. She's not really distressed, I don't think, about the church's crumbling and about how we're moving into an era that isn't so earth-centered in spirituality. I mean, I don't mean to say that worshiping Mother Earth is something that needs to go away. I just mean the perspective that we are reaching into in this new era is more galactic than in the past. That's what I'm trying to say. The religions and spiritualities of the past may end out having to make some adjustments or something. They're just certainly the attendance at churches isn't as great as it used to be. No, it is not. Right. And so that she's not distressed about that, but she is distressed about what's gone along hand in hand with that, which is we've lost a lot of words like confession, repentance, humility. Those words are not really, just like character has fallen away from our language. You don't hear those words anymore. And so I think that if we need to, I think Carolyn Mace is making a wonderful point. We really do need to bring those words back. For example, humility can be so helpful to cultivating inner harmony because we need to be able to notice that we have a choice between being humble or arrogant. And I can tell you this, I was being arrogant when I was bitter. I was always saying, God, you've got it wrong. My life should be like this, not like that. Whenever you use the word should, uh, it very often is a sign of arrogance or, or, non, or, or resistance. And resistance and arrogance come the way. Non-resistance is one of the spiritual words we need to bring back. Absolutely. I, and I like what she's saying. This, it really makes sense. Yes, the church attendance has, has fallen and you know, people are rejecting some of the some of the parts, which I think some of it I think is good to reject. Some of it is damaging, but then there's some really good parts of it that are also getting rejected. I know my I was raised Catholic, and my dad just gave me a book yesterday about you know because he notices that I'm getting more spiritual again. I used, I was atheist for a long time, and and now you know I I believe there's there's something I believe in, but he's always trying to get me back into the Catholic Church, and I, I don't feel the pull there, but I do feel. Some things have dropped out of society, like you had mentioned, character, repentance, humility, and bringing that back. I think that's wonderful that she's doing that, but how can it be done? That's very, that's great that she's trying. Because I, I've noticed that, and it's just funny because it was just yesterday that I got the book, and, and he's going to listen to this, but it's, and I appreciate the book, and I'm going to read it. There's a lot of wisdom there. I, I appreciate the wisdom and being able to bring some of that back, but with in a different way. You got which book? Oh, I forgot the name of it, but it's something about how people decided to be Catholic. See, I, I was raised Catholic. Oh, oh, that's oh, that's right. The book your father gave you. Okay. Yes, I wish I could go upstairs and get it right now, but it was just interesting. But I, I'm, I'm not interested. Sorry, Dad. I'm not interested in going back to the Catholic Church for different reasons. I don't really want to bash it or anything. There's just certain things that don't resonate with me. But I do feel the need for spirituality. Well, you know, the thing is, is that. I just always encourage people to do whatever resonates with them. So if you find that you are nurtured and returned to your heart, if it helps you to get out of your monkey mind and into your heart, 
to just walk in a forest with trees or in a park with trees, to spend an hour marinating in the tree's vibration. For some people, it would go as far as maybe even listening to the trees. Uh, I know a few people who um, say that the trees do speak to them, and I think they mean in English. <laughs> but in any event, how, if, if that's your experience, then I say don't let that fall by the wayside. Absolutely make sure you do that from time to time. Or if it's drawing down the moon, which is one of the practices of Wiccan. And if that's what really speaks to you and helps you become more spiritual and helps you connect with your true self and your true identity, absolutely be sure to do that. I just encourage everyone to do everything. I've heard a story about someone who has been a Buddhist all his life, and he ended up having a vision of Mother Mary showing up and a Buddhist who had a vision of Mother Mary. And Mother Mary gave him instructions. She said to the Buddhist that he had to start a group to allow people on a daily basis, I think it may have been, or maybe it's a weekly basis, I'm not sure, Uh, but a a group, she was told that he had to start start a group to allow people to do the rosary prayer, which is some prayer with beads. I've never done it. I don't know the details, but it's it's something that I guess you would know about since you have a Catholic Catholic background. It's been a while. It's been a while, but yes, (laughs) yes. Interesting. So incorporating that, you know, into, yeah, into it. Not a strict dogma, but just pieces of it. I see, yes. Yes, he, he ended up doing that. He followed her instructions, and I'm guessing that he might have a group of Buddhists and agnostics and maybe some witches. I don't know who's showing up. Maybe it's mostly Catholics. But, yeah, I mean, I'm just so delighted. I love interspiritual stuff. <laughs> yeah, me too. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. I have a funny feeling that that's the direction the world is going to be going in. So, yes, maybe the attendance of the churches will continue to shrink. And I'm quite sure that because we are humans and we have hearts and souls, we really will find other things. Maybe more people will be going to the going to the parks and walking with the trees. I don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yes. Now, so your book is available on Amazon. And your website has a lot of information, some PDFs people can download, I noticed. And But how can people work with you? When do you have workshops? And I just recommend that people go to my website, and there is a free meditation that's offered at the website. If you, if you get that, then you'll be on my list <laughs> to be notified of things. And, and, but they can, people can work with you, though. People can actually work with you as well. Oh, yeah. I, right now, I'm just doing private coaching. That's all. And, you know, people can access my website if they go to the website that describes the book. I want to just keep it simple and give out one URL. And then there's a link there to go to my website. (laughs) You can go to www.sayyestolifebook.com, www.sayyestolifebook.com. And if you go to that website, even if you're not interested in the book, you can go there and get a bundle of things that's being offered as a free gift to anyone and everyone. The gifts include guided visualization, an audio, and also an exercise that you can do for the next 30 days. It's an exercise that begins with appreciating things about yourself. And when you are consistently appreciating things about yourself, like I appreciate my tenderness, I appreciate my loyalty, I appreciate my love for cats. (laughs) I'm a cat person, (laughs) so that might be on my list. 
<laughs> I, I appreciate my willingness to explore spiritual things. It can just be anything and everything. When you write those down consistently day after day, and like I am uh, suggesting in this exercise, the second part is to graduate from appreciation into gratitude. What I'm basically saying is that if you start with appreciation, that can really help you to become more grateful. It can be sort of the foundation for gratitude. And for those of us who, you know, have sometimes struggled with feeling of really sensing the gratitude, it can be a good place to start. Definitely go to the website and check out that um, exercise. You can download it. And then you might find yourself after the 30 days stirring up a sense of gratitude in your life. I really encourage people who are keeping gratitude journals, if that's what you want to do, to really focus on the feeling when you're doing that. If you're just writing down things because you think you should write them down, well, I'm healthy, so I should write down I'm grateful for my health. It really doesn't help much. So um, it's the feeling that's the key. Once again, the website to go to for that exercise for an excerpt from the book, that's part of the package. You can read a few pages from the book for no charge. And for the audio, uh, the website is www.sayestolifebook.com. Nice. And then from there, yeah, they can get the gifts and then they can get connected with you if they want coaching. Absolutely. Wonderful. We're about to... We're about out of time to wrap it up, but I was wondering, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, but do you have anything to share with our listeners before we sign off? Well, there is one thing I might like to add. I'm really concerned about the scientific research that has been going on lately, according to the Wall Street Journal. No, no, no. According to the Washington Post, show that the teenagers have been skyrocketing in their levels of depression over the last few years. All age groups have been experiencing an increase in depression, according to those statistics, but especially the younger group. And so I'm just encouraging anyone who has a teenager in their life to please be mindful of how when you get older, you know that there's a good year and a bad year, and then another good year, and life goes in cycles. You have your bad day and your good day, your your good week followed by your bad week. You know there's the cycles going on. And when you're 17 and you've had two or three rough years, you don't have that touchstone, that reference point, And you just might think that that's just the way life is. So I just so encourage you to let the teenagers know that things can get better. I mean, certainly in my own case, I was miserable in my youth. I hated high school. And, and then things got better. And so you just let them know that it's so common for things to be really rough sledding when you're younger and then for things to be so much better later on in life. Absolutely. I have a teenager. I have a 13-year-old and then my son is 11. But yeah, it's it's alarming. So that's, that's good advice because definitely I, teenage is, it's, it's hard. You don't have the experience that an adult has to look back and say, oh, I remember that part was rough, but then I had some great years, but they don't know that. That's right. You you do have more perspective when you get older and a higher altitude, so to speak. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you about that. That was really important. I hope people will, that parents of teenagers will definitely listen and, ta and talk to their kids and keep the dialogue open. Thank you again, Elliot, for, for joining me. I really liked this conversation and looking forward to checking out your book and your website some more. It's wonderful, this information that you're putting out into the world. Oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate the chance to be with you. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. 
Susan, you remember the time we were in Orange County? We were driving around and we got lost. And we ran into this place called Avila's El Ranchito. You remember the place? The place had awesome decor and authentic margaritas. Did you know that Avila's El Ranchito has been around since 1966? They have 13 locations throughout Orange County. Visit Salvador Avila's location in Lake Forest and Foothill Ranch for great food, ambiance, and specialty margaritas. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.